pray. Lord Jesus, you are the anointed one we just read about. We are thankful our Heavenly Father has given us the Holy Spirit. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to boldly proclaim the good news to a world ravaged by anxiety, fear, panic, and loss. We ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on your broken world so that 2020 will become the year of the Lord's favor. Oh God, we ask you to heal our broken world. Only you can replace panic with peace, fear with faith, grief with grace. Lord, of many of our world's most vulnerable people groups, this worldwide quarantine has been a time of darkness, fear, and anger. Many are struggling mentally, emotionally, and financially. And Lord, we lift them out of dis- please lift them out of despair. Deliver them from your great for, by your great salvation, and may they truly discover the eternal freedom that's only found in you. We thank you for mitigating the effects of COVID-19 and expanding your footprint in the nations of the world. Millions of people are asking you for refuge and protection, and we know you hear them and are freshly touched by our world, touching our world. With one voice, we boldly come before your throne of grace in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, eradicate, eradicate COVID-19 and pour out your Spirit on the earth. Let's continue to pray. Father, we thank you that you've heard this prayer, but we also pray specifically as you have called us and told us to do in your word. We pray for those that are in leadership and authority over our lives, specifically our president, that you would continue to give him wisdom and direction and discernment. You've called us to do this. You didn't call us to like an office. You didn't call us to agree with somebody. You've called us as your church to pray, and we're doing that today in obedience to your word. We pray for those that are other leaders in our in our national government, um, our Speaker of the House and our in the in the head of the Senate, and for our Supreme Court. We pray specifically for our governors that affect this church, Governor Raimondo, Father, that you would continue to keep her safe, continue to give her strength, give her the wisdom and discernment that she needs in order to lead this state through this time. We thank you that you have put in her life people that are that are your children that have your spirit in them so that they can give counsel and advice. And we pray that you would continue to strengthen and protect them, that they would have your wisdom and your, your, your understanding to give as help and as guidance. We pray for Governor Baker, that you would also keep him safe, Father. Give him wisdom and direction and understanding and surround him with men and women of God who can help give him discernment and counsel. And we thank you, Father, for these. We pray for those that are in the front line, those that are ministering health to those that are in the hospital and on ventilators in the ICU, and those that may not be, that you would protect these workers. They are literally putting their life on the line to save others. And, Father, help them, surround them with your protection. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. We pray for those that are struggling with this disease right now for recovery. We speak life to their bodies that they will live and not die. And we pray for those that have lost loved ones, Father, that you would continue to comfort them and encourage them and lift up their heads that they might see the hope that you have before them. And finally, we pray, Father, for pastors in this area that you would continue to give them wisdom and grace and understanding, especially as they make decisions about beginning to bring their church back together. And we pray for them this day especially. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. A couple of things I want to mention to you before we get into the Word. One is what I just prayed 
There's a, I've been on the phone with a number of pastors. I've been looking at some websites and, and, and getting some counsel from others. I talked to Pastor Sam Smucker, whom this church knows, uh, just on fr- Friday. Um, and and the, the issue is to begin to address when and how can we begin to come back together. There's some churches that are out there right now and they've just, in spite of what the government is saying, they're holding church today and some of them, even local ones that I know, are planning to do it next week. Let me tell you first of all what I believe and then what our plan is here. First of all, I believe that that is a decision that each pastor must make before God. For this reason, each church is in a different situation, physically in a different place. We're located here in the middle of a residential community so that what we do here can affect the the lives of people around us and we are here as a witness. I'm not going to be controlled by that but I have to take that into consideration. Secondly, it's the health of people. And some of these churches are out in rural areas where they're not as exposed. Many of our people come from Providence, from a city, and, and, and from communities that are all hardly hard hit by this. So my point is each pastor must make this decision for his congregation before God, and I'm praying and believing that God will give them the wisdom to do that. Second factor is whatever we do here has to be, in my heart, and we've met as a staff on this, has to be primarily to protect the, our people, the people that come. We, we, there's some of you that would be here today if we opened the doors for you today. And there's some of you that would not know, some of you wouldn't come at all, and some of you are sort somewhere in the middle. We want to do this when we do it in a way that protects you and in a way that also provides you with a sense of security that you are being protected. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard to worship together. So here's what we're doing. We've assembled a team. We're going to begin to assemble a larger team to begin to plan what it is we have to do in order to come back together safely. And with a church of our size, with the number of people we have, there's much more involved in that than there may be with some smaller churches. So I want you to know we're already working on that, and we will keep you advised. We will certainly make you aware of the decisions that we make. The other thing is we do want to respect what our government is telling us to do. I do not believe, as some have said, that others believe that this is persecution against the church. They're not stopping us from preaching the Word of God. They're trying the very best they can to protect people. It's an overwhelming job that they are now that they now find themselves in. They didn't bargain for this, but they're in this. This is why we need to pray for them for our own benefit. So that's what's going behind this. So we're going to look at this. If it comes to a point that I believe it's the right thing for us to come together and our government has not told us we can do yet, I'm prepared to do that if I need to. But I'd rather not if I don't have to. I want to honor what the government's saying unless I believe it is holding back what God wants us to do here. So pray for me for wisdom and for our staff. Pray for other pastors because we will need that wisdom. Second thing I want to do is, Chris mentioned that earlier, this family prayer blog. Uh, I'm trying to find a way to encourage families to come together every day since we have time together now and begin to learn how to pray together as a family so that as this begins to lift, we have developed that habit. So the best way I know to do that is to something I can put out every week that does several things. It's an encouragement, maybe some direction. It also gives those that are involved an opportunity to share with one another their successes and maybe their struggles and things that have helped them to succeed. 
So we put the first one out this week. Understand this, I've never written a blog before, so I'm learning how to do this as I go along. I'm getting some counsel and advice from some people here that do know a little more about blogging. So uh, bear with me as I learn how to do this, but I think it's very, very important to do. Next thing, I just encourage you, Wednesday night, Wednesday nights, we are having a weekly prayer meeting here online. It's been very powerful, and we will continue to do that as long as we need to do that. And this Wednesday at 7.30, we're doing that live. And then finally, uh, I have been weekly, some of, many of you know this, I've been getting some wonderful feedback. I'm doing a little short five, six minute encouragement called a a fireside chat every day. And it's based on something President Roosevelt did during World War II where they didn't have videos, they didn't have uh, any way to get the news out other by radio and newspaper. And he would, I believe every night, broadcast a short fireside chat. He'd come into every home by way of radio and just share what was going on and share some encouragement. And I really felt led to do that when this started. And so it's, uh, it, it's, been, it's been encouraging me as we do this together. And, uh, oh, lastly, uh, we're going to pray and get into the message right now. But those of you that may have downloaded the notes yesterday, you need to go do it again because I found some typos in there, which I've hopefully corrected this morning. There was apparently one in there last week, which I missed. So uh, I don't have anybody proofing this by the time I get this done. So encourage you. So let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight, today. Uh, we come to you and thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you that in the midst of all of this <clears throat> crisis out there and this anxiety and things, that you're working, you're moving in and through your church. And Father, as I've said so many times, I believe with all my heart that you have put this church here and and the other churches here, and you have put us here as believers exactly now for such a time as this because there are things that you want to do in this world in the opportunity that this opens for us, and you have put us here so that you can do that through us. And so, Father, as we continue to turn to your word, we're asking you to speak to us what we need to hear. And so, Father, what I believe you put on my heart to talk about today, of all things, I'm asking you, as I've already sought you this morning in my private time with you, I'm asking you, Lord, to allow me to speak only what you want to say. As best I know how, I surrender my lips, my mind, my voice, my body to you, that you would speak to us what you want to say in the spirit in which you want to say it. And for that, I do by faith, and I thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We say, what's that all about? Well, we'll, we'll see in a minute. Uh, I'm going to turn to a scripture in a minute, but we're, we're living, let me back up a second. I'm a pastor, and I'm a teacher, and a pastor has a responsibility over the people that God entrusts to him or her, and God uses, the Word of God uses as an example for that a shepherd and his sheep, and Jesus, Peter calls the, 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 the over-shepherd, the, the great shepherd, but a pastor is an under-shepherd, serving under the great shepherd to watch over and to take care of the people or the sheep, the Bible calls them, that God entrusts to him. And the primary responsibility of a shepherd is to feed the sheep and make sure they're healthy because generally those sheep don't belong to that shepherd. There's an owner of those sheep. And in the same way, the people of this church don't belong to me. They belong to the one who saved them and gave his life for them. And that's Jesus, of course. 
And the second responsibility that a shepherd has is to protect the sheep. And by and large, what I do here is I feed you. But today I feel led to do something and talk about something whose primary purpose is to protect you. Some of you will hear this and listen to it and receive of it, and I already know some of you won't. And you're the very ones that need to listen most attentively. Now, I hope I haven't scared you, but this is out of love for you. And a lot of prayer has gone into that. So let's, let's get into the Word. Let's get into this. We're going to begin in 2 in, in Timothy chapter 3. And, and this is perhaps the last letter that Paul wrote. He wrote. He's written this from prison. And most likely, this is the second imprisonment that Paul uh, is in. And, and Paul recognizes, we're not going to look here this morning, recognizes that his days are numbered, that this is his time of departing is at hand. Timothy, the one to whom he writes this letter, is his beloved son in the faith. Of all the people that Paul trained, of all the people that Paul had a relationship with, this was literally a fa- like a father and son relationship, not physically, but spiritually. And, and Paul, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, and the most like Paul. But Timothy was a young man, and Timothy struggled with certain things. And Tim, this was written at the end of Paul's life, probably somewhere around 60, 70 A.D. And the, 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 the atmosphere and the, the spiritual landscape has changed very much since when the church was birthed around 30, 35 A.D. So in those 30, 40 years, there's a difference. What's happened is tremendous persecution has come against the church. And it's caused it to spread out of through much of the known world. And, and Satan, that was Satan's effort to try to destroy the church. But it didn't work. Instead, it spread the gospel out. So Satan begins to try other schemes to try to destroy the church. And the, the next scheme he tries is to bring teachings into the church that are false doctrines or false teachers he comes in. And the difficulty is that the average believer was having trouble discerning what was teaching that was coming from God and teaching that looked like it was coming from God sounded good, but it wasn't coming from God. So those times were the time this letter was written. And Peter writes a letter very similar to that. We're in very similar time right now. Although we're maybe more at the end of the age than at this time than Paul was at the beginning of that time, we're living in an age when, when, where, where news and information overwhelms us through many different sources. Not only do we have 24-hour news on cable systems that have 180 or 200 channels, and it's 24-hour news, but we can now get it on our phone, my watch, our iPads, our, our computers, and things we can carry around with us. Not only that, we have social media out there at which anybody can put anything out there without any, any explanation of who they are or why we should be able to listen to them. Now, I have a little different perspective on this because not only am I a pastor in charge with the responsibility of watching over and protecting the sheep, but my former occupation, I was a lawyer for over 20 years. And a lawyer is trained in critical thinking, trained to ask the question, how do you know that? Where does that come from? So the lawyer is never 
is trained to not just accept things because they read them or because somebody says them. Now, there are times that can get in my way, but it's kept me out of an awful lot of trouble. So I believe God wants to combine those two parts of my personality today because I believe there's some things that God wants to say to us, to me as well as to you. So let's go and take a look at, at, um, at Timothy, what Timothy has to say there. I, w- I want to mention some specific things that, that tried to come into the church near the end of Paul's ministry when Timothy now is, is a leader. He's, he, in all likelihood, he was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Some were saying, the teaching that some of them were saying was that Christ had already come back that Christ had already come back, that the resurrection and the rapture had already taken place, and that basically you guys missed it. Uh, some were trying to bring into the New Testament grace message, the gospel, Old Testament practices. They were trying to say, yes, Jesus is the way, but we have to also live out all the, all the rules under the law of Moses. Those were called the Judaizers. And some of Paul's writings, many of Paul's writings, and some of John's writings were addressed. John wrote to a group called the Gnostics, and they were trying to undermine the divinity of Christ. So the point is, in the church, teachers in the church were trying to bring in teachings that had the appearance of truth, but there was error in it. And the danger was people discerning what was real, true, fully true, and what was true but had error mixed on it. Because if something has any error in it, it's no longer truth. There's no such thing as, as, a, as a little white lie, as something that's gray. It's either truth or it's error. There is no in-between. One and one is either two or it's not. There's no in-between. Truth is narrow and it's exclusive. And I don't have time to get off on that. That's a whole message in itself. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll see Paul was writing to this. But know this, in the last day perilous, dangerous times will come. And boy are we in them. For men will be lovers of themselves... Boy, does this speak to today. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, (coughs) despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How many people are out there today seeking after their pleasure instead of here listening to God? Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Let's drop down. Um, let's drop down now for, uh, to verse, uh, verse 10. So that's very similar today. But this is Paul's instructions. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, Love, persecutions, persecutions, afflict, excuse me, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, Iconia, Lystra, what persecutions I endured and out of all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all desire, who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. But evil men, imposters, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but, now here's the answer, but you must continue in the things 
you have learned and be assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. We need to know who it is we're listening to. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is calling Timothy back to the foundation of his faith, what he was fa- his faith was founded on, and where he learned it from him, because Timothy was being tempted to be led off by all kinds of other teachings that are out there. And then look what Paul says. This is a very famous scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. <clears throat> what that literally means in the Greek is this Bible is God breathed. It's not like any other book. This is God speaking to us today. These are the words of God. The term inspired literally means God breathed. In fact, there's a, somebody, when our first mission trip, we went to Mexico, somebody gave me a, a Mayan Bible a, written in the Mayan language. And, and the, the, the title in Mayan is not God's word, it is the breath of God. So the word is God breathed. So Paul is telling Timothy that this is God speaking. So the way to know truth is what is God seeking? Now notice what God's word is intended to do, and this is what we're doing this morning. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for several things here doctrine, reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. Now let's take a look at these. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine are the basic foundational truths that in this Bible on which our faith is based. Really, the basic things of who Jesus is, His incarnation, His virgin birth, His, 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 His his death, His burial, His resurrection, the message of grace. They're basic doctrines. And doctrines provide a foundation. Because we're living in a world today when people are so moved by how they feel, so moved by the latest thing they've heard, how do I know what's stable in my life? Well, the question is, what is your life based on? Is it based on the basic foundational doctrines of who, of the, of the Bible, of who Jesus is, and of what we're here to do? We'll talk more about that later. But notice, so the, the word is used, it's profitable to establish the doctrine or the foundational truths in our life. Secondly, for reproof. The word reproof in Greek means to rebuke somebody. You don't get this in church very often every day. Most churches are out there telling you to feel good, that God loves you, the grace of God, and that's all true. But the Bible teaches us that a pastor is responsible in the, to bring the Word because sometimes this Word has a purpose to rebuke us. Now remember, Hebrews 12 tells us because God is a father and because a father loves his children, he will correct them. That's in Hebrews chapter 12, starting around verse 5. And then it goes on in verse 7 and says, if you will allow God to be a father to you, if you will allow that correction to work in your life, then you will allow him to be a father to you, which implies that we can have God's word and allow him to father us by not receiving the correction he wants to bring to us. But his correction is always out of love for us. It's always because he's trying to protect us and because he believes we can do the things that he's challenging us to do. And that's what God is doing 
for all of us today, I believe. So for, re- for reproof, for correction. Correction is to, is, is to make an adjustment in, in your direction. It's to bring you back on course from something. When, they, when you fly in an airplane, the next time you're able to do that, the, uh, the pilot doesn't get, just get up there and just kind of aim, let's see, we're going to go to Atlanta, I think Atlanta's in this direction, I'm going to aim for it. He has a compass that shows him the direction, but they have electronic devices that tell them whether they're on course or off course. And when they get off course, it tells them how to get back on course, and that's what correction is. But here's the challenge in the church today. So many Christians are not placing themselves in a position where they can receive correction. Because they're out there, and we're going to see it in a minute, they're not under any person's, any God-appointed authority. Because they will not allow someone to speak into their lives. See, God corrects us very often through leaders He puts in our lives. Well, I hear from the Holy Ghost. He corrects me. That means what the Spirit of God is saying to you has to get filtered through your thinking, and that may be the exact thing God's trying to change, and if that's the case, you won't receive it. You'll find ways to divert it. I know, because I've done it so many times in my own life. And so God puts people in our lives through whom He can bring correction to us. Not anger, but to bring us back on course. And if we'll receive it, then God can rescue us and keep us on course. If we won't receive it, then then you're preventing God from keeping you on course. And that's a dangerous place to be. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. And for instruction or teaching in righteousness so that we can be used. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the purpose of God's correction, the purpose that God rebukes us, the purpose that God uh, trains us is so that we can be complete to do the work that He's put us here to do. So understand you have an enemy out there that doesn't want you complete to do the work God puts you here to do, and he will try to distract you from what God wants you to do. We'll talk a little bit about that going forward. So let's go right down. This is a continuation of the same idea. And this is the answer that Paul is telling Timothy to do. This is the answer to these false doctrines that were coming into the church. This is the answer to the distractions that Satan was trying to work and was working into the church. And this is the answer that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing, preach the Word. The answer to all the distractions, the answer to all the, all the, all the deception that tries to get into the church is to preach the Word, which is what I'm endeavoring to do today. Be ready in season and out when everybody's saying, Yes, amen, pastor, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Or when people get up and want to leave or they send you nasty emails. Or when, as Jesus preached one message, everybody left. In season or out. Look at this. Convince. That word in Greek means to convict, to refute, and to rebut with the idea of actually putting somebody to shame. That's what that word means. So convict, somebody, convict. The, 
This is what the preaching is intended. Rebuke. Rebuke is to chide or reprove that somebody's done something wrong. Out of love, not out of anger. But sometimes in order to get our attention, I found with, my ch- I found with Molly, our little dog. We were outside this morning, and as I was getting ready, normally I take her out to do her business before I leave to come to church. Somehow, she got out through the door on her own, and I'm trying to find her, and she's out walking along on the grass by the edge of the street, and I don't have a leash on her. So I can't pull her back if I need to. So I start out saying, Molly, 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 come here. And she's so busy smelling around, she didn't lift her head and pay attention to me the way she normally does. So I had to raise my, Molly, she st- so I had to get loud, Molly! And when I raised my voice, it jolted her and she looked at me. I did that out of love for her. Because she's wandering next to a street. She's this big, seven pounds. She doesn't understand the dangers that are in that street. But I do. And so if she had just responded when I said, Molly, I would never have had to raise my voice. But I had to rebuke her for her safety and for her welfare. That's what Timothy's saying to Paul, or Paul is saying to Timothy here. Rebuke, exhort. Interesting word. The word exhort means to come alongside and encourage. And it's the same word that John uses when he talks about the helper, the Holy Spirit will come. So the word, uh, uh, the preaching of the word is also to encourage us and to come along and strengthen us. And I'm trusting that this word today will do all of those. So let's keep on reading. And because this is why this is so crucial. And this opens the door to really to talk about where people are today. So many are. For the time will come when the people will not endure sound doctrine. We're going to break this down. The word endure means receive. The word endure means accept. They will not endure it. They'll change the channel. They'll, t- they'll, 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 uh, they'll go to some other site. Why? But according to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will keep up for themselves teachers. Let's break that down. This is so powerful, and it's so insightful. And let this word talk to us. And if you're not there, let it arm you so that this doesn't happen to you. And notice how it happened. The Bible teaches that Satan comes to deceive us. Satan comes to tempt us. And he doesn't come, the old expression, he doesn't come wearing a a red suit with horns and a pitchfork saying, letting you know who he is. He comes by deception. What is deception? Deception means he comes with something that looks like one thing, but in reality, it's something else. I was talking to my wife the other day about this. I said, you know, if, if somebody wants to put bait out there to kill an animal with poison, you don't put a, 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 a dish with rat poison out there. You put food out there for whatever animal you're trying to catch. You put food out there, and, and then you, but you put in that food the poison. So it looks right, it looks real, it smells real, and it is real, but it has in it something that will kill you. That takes discernment to recognize what's in there in something that's real and that looks like it's good for you. So, Paul's talking... So it's our desires. Satan tempts you with your own desires. James chapter 1, he talks about we're led astray by our own desires. And look what Paul says to Timothy here. He says, says, "But, but according to their own desires... And see, one of the marks of immaturity is we're led by our desires 
and not by though not by principles, doctrines, or correction. And kind of the example here is if you've ever taken a small child to a buffet and they look at all this food that's lay out in front of them and, and they get to say, they say the salads, they say the vegetables, they see the meats, then they see the desserts. So where are they going to go? Maybe it's not a buffet, but maybe you're at somebody's house and there's a buffet laid out. What are the children going to go to? They're going to go to what they like that tastes the best to them. They're going to go to what they, what they desire the most. But if you're a wise, loving parent, you'll put your hand on their shoulder and say, that's for later, and you'll direct them over to what they need to eat. So here's the beginning of deception, is that we're led away by our own desires. That means we have to have something or someone built into our lives that has a greater authority over us than our own desires have. I've had times with this, like I'm sitting at night and I just, I can hear in the freezer the vanilla ice cream talking to me. It's saying, John, you need me and I need you. Come, I'm calling you. And I had this desire rise up in me. And, and, and I got to tell you, there are a lot of times when I just let that desire control me more than maybe my spirit saying, John, you don't need that today. Last night I had that desire and I said, no, I'm going to exercise authority over that desire. That's a small example of what Paul's talking about here. Let's, let's move on. So, it's, the opening to this is they have no one or nothing in their lives that they have built there that has a greater authority over their, them than their desires have. Because they have itching ears, and that's the title of today's message. Now, let's think about what itching is. Itching is when something is in your flesh is demanding attention. Maybe it's a mosquito bite back here, or poison ivy, or, or some kind of insect bite that's demanding your attention. Uh, the weather's warmed up, and my, I was sitting out on my deck the other day, kind of just reading and just enjoying myself out there. And, 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 and that night when I got into bed, I noticed I was just about to go to sleep, and there was something on my leg that was itching like this. If I'm not careful, I'll stir it up again. And just as I'm going off, it, it was demanding attention. Now, and, and now I've learned by experience, if I don't scratch that, it'll stop itching. That's with a mosquito bite. If I scratch it, it's going to itch even more. But what it is, is this demanding attention. And itching ears refers to our mind, refers to something in our mind that's looking for something, that's trying to find something on our own, trying to get something satisfied. And, and, and we, it, it can be a different thing in different people, but it's, it's, I'm looking to satisfy this thing. And the question is, is it a God desire that's been put in you, or is it the enemy or your desire? But the point is, it's, it's demanding attention, and it's saying, scratch me, itch me. And so e- Paul's using the image of ears, because it's to listen to something. i got to hear this. I got to hear this. I mean, I was, was, he was reading my Bible this morning and I was just meditating on it and all of a sudden questions began to come to my mind. I wonder what the latest death certificate is, or death statistic is. I wonder what the weather's going to be today. And my mind was to, I could go check that out now. And nowadays with iPads and all this stuff, it's easy to go do that. And it was trying to draw my attention 
away from what the real food, real thing I needed to listen to was. Itching ears. Let's keep going. For a time will come... uh, Okay. And then they will heap up... Listen to this. This is so powerful. They will heap up for themselves teachers. In other words, they will choose for themselves who they're going to let speak into their lives. Now I want to say something here. You may never have heard this before, but it's exactly what God's Word teaches. God puts ministry gifts in your life to help you. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, starting around verse 11. It names five of them. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. For the edifying, for the building up, for the protecting of the saints, so that we will do the work of the ministry. God assigns people and human beings, flesh and blood, that can make mistakes. So, well, I just hear from God. Well, then you're disobedient to God because God wants to put you under someone's leadership that will protect you. And this, we'll talk about their qualifications in a minute. And so what they were doing is they were choosing their own teachers based on what satisfied the itching of their ears. So they're not being led by the Spirit of God. They're not allowing God to say things into their life they may want to hear. They choose who they want to hear based on what they want to hear. And we're all susceptible to that. I know there are many times I've looked at somebody, a teacher, and I said, I don't like the sound of their voice, and I want to turn them off. And I've learned, though, very often, that's intended to keep me from hearing what I need to hear. And I have to push through what's bothering my mind or my flesh to hear what God's saying. And so they, they, they heap up for themselves. Listen to that. Teachers for themselves. They've chosen who they believe they should listen to. That's like that child choosing, oh, I know what I need to eat. It's the Boston cream pie. That's what I know I need to eat because I can taste it. I need that. Well, I hope you're all okay right now. Okay. And this is all because they have itchy ears. And look at verse 4. And they, these teachers, will turn their ears away from the truth aside to fables. Let me tell you quickly. We're going to run out of time if I don't do What a fable is. A fable... Well, remember, have you ever heard of Aesop's fables? The hare and the tortoise and those? They're all stories that have a lesson behind them that are a good, true lesson. But they're man's ideas of what that lesson is. Paul's drawing a distinction here between truth and fables. Fables have truth in them, but they're man's thinking about that truth. So let me show you an example of this that's so so powerful. Um, Before I do that, let me just go over a couple of things. Uh, the qualifications of a spiritual leader. Because we all do, who's a, why should I listen to them? They're just as fallible as I am, unless God's put them there in that position. First of all, uh, God, there has to be somebody God's chosen and placed in that office. They can't be somebody that's placed themselves in that office. They need to have experience in ministry before I'm going to submit myself to them. 
I want to see the fruit in their lives. We don't have time to go through this, but Paul talked earlier about, about you've seen, been with me through my perseverance, through my, through my, uh, all the things I went through, through my, the things that I've endured. You follow my life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering. Now, you know me. You've seen the things I've gone through. You know that I'm proven in this, and therefore you can trust me. So make sure it's somebody that's proven that there's fruit in their lives, in their family, in their life, in their, wa- in their marriage in their walk with God, that there's fruit there. Don't just pick somebody online and listen to them when you don't know what they're really like. And the last thing, are they willing to be responsible for the results of what they're teaching you? James chapter 3 verse 1, Paul says, or James says, not many of you desire to be a teacher. Listen to that. Those of you who want to have your own things... Because there's a stricter judgment. Why? Because when you start teaching people, you begin to influence them. And you're now responsible for the accuracy of what you said, whether that was God speaking or not, even if they were good ideas. So what I'm saying is that who you decide to listen to, are they willing to be responsible for you? See, pastors see things differently because I'm going to have to give an account for what I did for you, what I said to you, whether I protected you or whether I told you the truth or whether I fed you properly. And I take that with fear and trembling because that's why I spent time on my face this morning about this, to make sure that this is all God and none of this is me. We'll close with a scripture. Let's go to Matthew 16. And here's a great example of what we're talking about story of Peter. What's happened is Jesus has just preached a wonderful message and everybody left. And we're going to pick up in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked the disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. In other words, they're talking about, you know, what man's opinion of who Jesus is. Verse 15, Then Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Not on Peter, but on this revelation of who he is. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, let's go down to um, verse 21. So here, Peter has just heard from God and answered, and Jesus is commending him. Peter, that's not you, but God revealed that to you. Now, let's pick up. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. That's His mission. That's what He was coming here to do. He did a lot of other things to support it and to prepare for it, but His mission his, was to come and to suffer on our behalf and to be and to be executed on that cross and to be raised on the third day. And if he didn't commit that, c- complete that mission, the whole world's going to die and go to hell. This is the crucial part of what he's here to do. Look at Peter, verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Rebuked. 
The one he just said, I know you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. He's rebuking the Son of God. See how far off you can get when you begin to do what we're going to talk about here? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And look what Peter, Jesus says. He turned aside and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you and are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Notice, it's the same man. It's within a few verses of each other. The same Peter that the Spirit of God was identifying, this is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now when he hears the mission that Jesus declares he's here to do, he pulls him aside and he's saying, you can't do that. Let not this be done. Look at this. Be done to you. Far be it, Lord. It shall not happen to you. Look what Jesus says. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. What's happening here? Peter now thinks in his own judgment, I figured this out. You are the Messiah. You are the Deliverer. You are the Son of God. So he has truth. But he in his own reasoning, in his own enthusiasm, out of his own desire for what he thinks ought to happen, he builds on this truth to what Jesus ought to do. So when Jesus now shows a mission that in Peter's understanding undermines what Peter thinks he should be doing, Peter rebukes him and tells him not to do this, he said, because it should not be done to you. But Jesus was going to the cross exactly for that, for things to be done to him so that he could do things for us. And Peter didn't have that big view. Peter didn't have that big perspective. And without the right perspective, God's perspective, Peter had the wrong principle. And if he were a teacher, he would have taught the wrong lesson. Because he didn't have God's perspective through the Son of God. The same man that heard from the Spirit of God heard from Satan. Notice he rebukes Satan. And Satan's using to speak to him. I'm not saying to scare anybody. I'm saying that because you need to be discerning of who you're out there listening to. Ask this question. If you had were diagnosed with a brain tumor and you decided that you wanted to have surgery but you didn't want to pay the hospital expenses and the expensive neurologists and the neurosurgeons and you just went online and you found somebody online that said... I perform brain surgery and you made an appointment with them and you showed up at their house or you showed up at the hospital even and you let them go ahead and put you under and cut your head open and take your... Would you do that? Of course you wouldn't. You want to know whether they're qualified. You want to know whether they're board certified. You want to know what their experience is. You'd probably be all over the internet checking them out. But we'll listen to anybody online without knowing who they are. And, and they may be wonderful people, but are they going to give an account? for your life. I heard Robert Moore said this, pastor of a 30,000 member church in Dallas, Texas. We've seen him, we've done videos of his here. So I'm telling you something he said in the middle of a message similar to this that I heard. He said, when you get out from underneath the spiritual authority of the person God's put you under, you are now out from underneath God's protection. 
John Bevere, the book that we mentioned earlier and Chris mentioned, The Bait of Satan, wrote another book on spiritual authority called Undercover. And the implication is that authority in our lives is a protection for us. But they can make mistakes. But you understand that if it's an authority God has appointed, God's responsible for whether they make a mistake or not. And God's responsible to correct them, not you. And, and well, why would God have me put under the authority of a man? Because the way, you, the way you submit to a person that God puts in your life, and I'm not talking about bossing you around, I'm not talking about who you can marry, I'm talking about speaking into your life what God says. When you get out from underneath that, you're deciding for yourself whether there's poison in that meat or not. And that's a place of pride. And pride sends alarm off in hell we got a live one here. Because the Bible says pride goes right before a fall. And we've seen it here with Peter, a great example. So what are we supposed to do? What is it we should do? All right, with all of that, first of all, these are distractions and deceptions that come to take us off our course. Peter, Satan was using Peter to try to get Jesus to not fulfill his mission. And Satan wants to use other ways to get into your life and my life to try to distract us from finishing what we're here to do. Now, why am I talking about all this? Because there is out there right now a whole bunch of teaching on the Internet and teaching that people are doing on the end times and what it means and who is this person and what is that person, and they're off getting sucked away from what we're here to do by these distractions. And here's the trap. They could be all true. But what are we to do? They could be exactly right, but what are we to, here to do? See, Jesus was focused on His mission. There's a verse somewhere that says, He set Himself like flint. He set Himself that He would not be pulled off that mission. Well, well what are we to do? Well, quickly, in Luke, in, in Luke chapter... Uh, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, let's talk about distraction for a minute. What is a distraction? First of all, a distraction is something that you're called to look at that is not what you're supposed to be looking at. It's to take your eyes off the road. Secondly, it steals something from you that you need to do what you're here to do. It'll steal your time, it'll steal your energy, it'll steal your mind's focus. Great example, story somebody told me a long time ago. You've got your children, you put them on, to, when, when they've got school again, you put them on the school bus and you entrust them to that school bus driver. And what's his mission? His mission is to get the children in that bus and that bus safely to that school. And while the doors open to let the children in, other things come in. Flies begin to come in. So while he's driving along, these flies start coming around him and buzzing around him. And what are they there to do? They're there to distract him. So that if he starts looking at the fly, and then in order to get rid of that fly, I need to protect these children from the fly, he starts going like this. What's happened? He's lost sight of what he's there to do. He's there to get that bus there safely, and to do that, he's got to keep his eyes on the road and his hands on the whip. But these flies are real. They're making noise. They're right in front of me. I've got to chase after them, get rid of them. No, what's your mission? What's your purpose? So what is our mission? What is our purpose? Let me share something with you about our correct focus. There are places in the Bible where the Bible talks about the future. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 
talks about the, 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 um, uh, the, the, talks about the end times and what's going to happen. But 1 Thessalonians 4.18, the end of that passage says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So Paul was giving these words about what's going to happen, but then he told him, I'm telling you these things so I can comfort you. Is what you're listening to comforting, giving you courage, or is it scaring you? If it's scaring you, there's poison in the food. 2 Thessalonians 2, after having talked about the rapture and things like that, he said, stand fast in what you've been taught and Christ will comfort you. So the purpose of telling us what's going to happen in the Bible is to cause us to stand fast, to finish what we're here to do and to comfort us. Revelation 1.3, the beginning of this end time book, it's all what it's about, is he says, blessed is he who reads these books, this, the, who reads these words. And here's the words of this prophecy. Blessed. So are you being blessed by what, you, by what you're hearing? Then you, if not, then there's poison. Maybe truth, but it's not true. Excuse me. It may be true, but it's not truth. There's a difference. Stay focused on why the church is here and what we are here to do. In Luke 19, verse 13, it's in the middle of a parable where Jesus is talking about the Son of God coming and why He's coming and, and, and what He in stewardship, what He entrusts to us. And it's a, it's a parable of the stewards. And, and, and when he, he takes the gifts and entrusts these gifts to these workers and leaves, He says in the, in the King James, I think it says, Occupy till I come. The New King James says, Do business until I come. So what are we here to do? We're here to do His business and not get sidetracked by issues that are not strengthening us, equipping us, and helping us to do what we're here to do. And the primary thing we're here to do is to fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all the world and make disciples to bring the gospel into all the world. And everything we do as a church every, is in, is in, has the ultimate purpose of enabling believers and us to do that. So is what you're listening to is the little Bible study you're intending. Is, what you're, is it helping you to do that? Is it under the authority of somebody who's trained and skilled and has responsibility for your soul and your life to do it? Because then they don't have to give an account for it. Because they can say anything they want. Finally, I'm going to make one last statement about this. Let's assume every prophecy... By the way, there's prophecies out there that contradict one another, and since God's not double-minded, one or more of them is not God. But that's a different matter. Let's suppose they're all true. Let's suppose the prophecies that name so-and-so is this, and by the way, I don't find prophecies that name in the New Testament that give names to people. But anyway, let's suppose they're all true. Let's suppose... I don't want to get into names. It's all happening. Let's suppose so... So what? Are you going to change it? The, the, there's nothing in, in, the, in the book of Revelation except some specific things Jesus tells churches to change. There's nothing in there you can do anything about. So why are we getting so caught? It, let's use it for what it's there to do. First of all, alert us, be sober. These things are going to happen. And we may well be at the beginning of some of these things. That should make us sober and alert and wake up and realize what's really important, but not scare us, not chase off after. I wonder what the mark of the beast is. I wonder what this is. The I wonder is the distraction that keeps you from doing what you're supposed to be doing, from growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we to do? So what if it's all true? 
What are you here to do? You're here to get the school bus safely to the school and not chase after all of these things. I know I've said some difficult things and they may affect you, but I've learned in my life that if I hear something from someone that I trust that upsets me, then there may be something I need to look at in my own life because if I'm upset, that's one of the ways my flesh uses to avoid facing something. We talked at the beginning, because God is a loving Father, He will correct us. And He may be able to correct you directly in your spirit, but if we were to go through Hebrews chapter 12 where He talks about correction, you'll find that many of those corrections in there you can't do on your own. You have to allow God to speak to you through someone else. Now, maybe, most of, maybe most of you out there didn't need to hear this this morning. But if that's, the, then you need to be forewarned. It can happen to all of us. I've been led off past times. And that doesn't mean everything I'm always teaching is 100%. I don't know. I'm human like you are. I know this because my heart is trying to do what God wants me to do. That even if I'm off about something, God will correct me and He will bring it back in line. I know this is difficult and this is challenging. And again, some of you may be out there and saying, I don't know why you're talking about this. You need to be forearmed. You may run into some of these things or you may know somebody that has. Lastly, understand this. God loves you. I love you. This is not an easy message for a pastor to give. I'd rather be giving a message. God loves you. He wants to pour all the riches of heaven out on you. God is here to protect you. We've talked about all those things. But because God loves you, God wants to keep you and protect you from being led astray. And there are many voices out there today that would do that. There are people teaching there's no hell. There's teacher people teaching all kinds of things out there. You need to be grounded in sound doctrine in the Word of God under somebody that's has a responsibility for your life to make sure that they're feeding you accurately and telling you the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today because you're a loving Father that you will correct us. My prayer, Father, is that you would strengthen us in our inner man so each of us would be able to hear what you want to say to each of us today. We trust the precious Holy Spirit to do in us what only He can do. He is a teacher. He is a comforter. He calls to our remembrance things that we've known and things that we've heard. And we trust ourselves. I trust every person watching today and who will listen to the sound of my voice. I trust them to you now. Put them into your hands. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, finally, you may be watching this morning and you said I've never heard anybody.